Welcome to the 28th episode of The Whistleblowers. I am Luke DeCock, News and Observer Sports Columnist. John Clockerty with me as always, the Hall of Famer, college basketball referee. We have a really exciting show today. One of our most famous guests, maybe even our most famous guest ever, uh, Ken Pomeroy, the basketball stats guru and officiating fan and longtime Whistleblowers listener. We're really excited to have Ken on. Obviously, his work is, is throughout college basketball. A lot of people are familiar with his efficiency ratings, maybe less familiar with the system he's created to kind of rate and rank referees. John, were you familiar before I brought up the idea of having Ken on as a guest with, with his work? Uh, not at all. Uh, I saw some things online that um, statistic-wise and so forth, but no, I, I didn't know Ken or... or uh, the things that he were, was doing with officiating. Well, you're about to meet him. Let's, let's go ahead and bring Ken on. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think, you know, uh, your, your officials ratings is a, a pretty valuable tool and I'm eternally grateful for you making all of the officials names hot linkable to their schedules, which is a replacement for the uh, much lamented stat sheet, which for me was the first place where I ever saw official schedules and sort of trackable numbers but rather than me babble on about your your rankings if you could just kind of explain how you got the idea and how the methodology works and how you sort of arrived at this formula that to to establish this hierarchy sure yeah well i think uh first of all uh you were kind of one of the people really like pushing me to uh come up with some sort of uh um reference for for officials uh assignments and uh I you know, obviously was familiar with the work that, that Robbie Allen did at Statsheet, and uh, I needed a, uh, a way to, I, well, the one thing I was uncomfortable with at Statsheet was that they kind of had all these officiating stats, like files called and all that kind of stuff, which was really kind of difficult to assign to a single official given the data that we had. So I, I needed a way to kind of have a, an entry point to these uh, officials for, you know, you can click on their assignments or whatever, and uh, kind of came up with the idea of ranking officials and, um, the basic idea is, we're, you know, we're not obviously we can't rank how good the officials are. I don't have access to, to uh, the evaluations, and even if I did, it would be too tedious to probably include in a comprehensive ranking. So it's really what it is is a ranking of of game assignments, and uh, and the assumption is that the game assignments are somewhat reflective of um, officiating ability. But uh, just uses my my own fan match rankings for for each game based on the quality of each game on a given night, and uh, takes an average of the 50 best um, games that an official worked, and uh, and that's the basis for the rankings. And in doing this, you, there are a couple of things I noticed. One is you kind of take the best 50 games, so as not to overvalue the guys who work a bunch of times. Did you have you seen just based on your impressions of officials and who who you think is good and who gets the best assignments that that tends to bear out as you get say into the NCAA tournament in the Final Four. Right. So, so that is a, a challenge. That's something that I might tweak in the off season is, uh, you know, how to, you know, you're trying to find a balance between the officials that get the, the best assignments, but also obviously, as you said, you don't want to overvalue just working every night. Although there's another issue of the fact that the officials that tend to work a lot of division one games tend to be better officials as well. So all those things are, are in play. I mean, I think, you know, I'm more familiar with the officials out West, but like there's a guy, uh, Bob Staffen's a guy who really at this point in his career only works, you know, 60 games a year. And he always gets a, 
tournament assignment. You know, he has a pretty long run of getting tournament assignments. It was broken a couple of years ago by an injury, but um, you know, he still gets good games, works, you know, decent pack 12 games and he's ranked like 92nd or something in my system this year. And he's, you know, I think most people would think of him as a better official than that. So that is a um, definitely a concern. Uh, it, you know, when I, honestly, Luke, when I like came up with this rating system, I probably spent about two or three days. Like, thinking <laughs> about it. it was, I mean, it's one of those fun projects because there's like no other competition. So I was like, all right, I can, you know, just come up with an idea and, and post it and, uh, and see how it goes. But yeah, having seen it play out here the last, you know, three or four years, it, that's definitely something that I, I think could, could be tweaked to, to be improved a little bit. It is pretty uncanny though, how often when they announce the, the 10 final four officials, I think almost always eight or nine of them have been in your top 12 or so. And all right. So some of that is like the difference between your rankings before the tournament and after the tournament where you, you know, they're skewed by tournament results, but uh, it's still, even with that, uh, it, it's, it does seem like you've hit on something that manages to at least assess reputations, if not actual uh, ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I do get excited when those final four uh, assignments come out and, and I look at my system and you're right. It's like eight, you know, eight of the top 10 and probably as you know, there's always maybe somebody who's in that 20 to 30 range, which, there's a, you know, definitely also a geographical bias to these as well. If you're a West Coast official, um, you can be a great official, but you just don't get great assignments, or at least great assignments by my definition, because, you know, the Pac-12 and the WCC just aren't on the level of, uh, you know, the ACC or the Big East or the, or the Big Ten. Um, one thing I don't do, I will point out, I could do, is like I could give a bonus for, for appearing in, in tournament games. And I don't do that. I still just use the same you know, game rating formula. So if you're, you know, if you get a one versus 16 game in the first round, like that really doesn't help your you're hmm. rating very much so uh i've thought about i've thought about giving a bonus but i don't do it for the reason you just described because i kind of like there being some independence between you know how i'm rating them and how how officials are selected for the later rounds of the tournament but certainly as you get later in the tournament and the guys who work a regional or work the final four the fan match scores on those games have to be stratospheric given <laughs> the sort of you know numbers that you know those those would be desirable games to work they would be desirable games, but they, you know, it, it depends on the matchup. Like you get, True. you know, you get Michigan versus Loyola Chicago. Like that's, it's going to be a good score, but it's not going to be up there with like a typical, you know, Duke Carolina game or something like that. True. So John, I wanted to ask you, while we have Ken here, uh, you've seen the numbers or have a sense in some cases of what the actual grading numbers are for 2016 or 2017, even, you know, just having a sense of the system. When I, when I sent you those reports for those years, did you get a sense that there was some correlation between what Ken's trying to do here and what the actual numbers are? Or did you get, were there places where they were kind of out of whack in your mind? No, uh, uh, and I want to tell Ken that when I read his uh, thing that he sent out on in, in January of 2017, everything he said in there was uh, accurate and uh, it, it, you know, obvious that officials, uh, recognizable officials, good officials are going to get uh, premier games and, and uh, games at uh, quality, high-level games in, in each conference. And that's going to put that official at the, uh, close to the top of the list or the top of the list. So those, those type of things uh, were, I mean, uh, to me, were uh, right on, uh, spot on. And uh, and then I, I saw where, you know, geographically, 
uh, a guy that works in the ACC, Mike Eads, uh, Brian Curcio, Roger Ayers, uh, that's going to add to um, his his ranking because uh, they're going to work Virginia, they're going to work Carolina, they're going to work Duke, and those teams are going to be uh, in the in, in the top ten uh, uh, consistently. So uh, that adds to their value of getting ranked high. They, but but they also work. Mike Eads will work Big Ten, and he'll get when they, he goes out to the Big Ten, he's going to work a quality Big Ten game, and Roger will be in the SEC, and he'll get a, a Kentucky game, which adds. So everything Ken did um, is, is again, uh, right on. The only thing that, uh, that I see, and Ken has made, uh, again, a point that he doesn't have the data that I have, and we grade out all the games uh, I have a, a, a group of uh, group of uh, uh, guys that did it for the NBA and we kind of use their model uh, uh, as far as grading officials correct calls incorrect calls no calls incorrect and um, although a Mike Eads and a Roger Ayers um, and a Mike Roberts uh, those guys are all pretty accurate but they are not the highest graded officials if you were just to compile the data you you would not have you would have those guys certainly up there but they wouldn't be the most accurate play callers and um and i looked at those numbers and consistently there are guys that are extremely accurate but they uh, uh, they don't rank up there and maybe that's because they're not getting the same quality of games that a Mike Eads might be getting. But uh, the numbers, the data doesn't always correspond with the rankings. And I think that's because when I made the assignments, the accuracy I have in front of me and, and how, um, how their play calling is, is going, but it doesn't measure any intangibles. And a guy like Roger Ayers, um, coaches like and I use Roger only because he's at the top of Ken's list right there but uh, I use Roger simply because um, he's an acceptable to all 16 coaches whether it's his communication skills uh, his, his partnering um, how the coaches perceive him um, and that's not to say Roger's not a good play caller it's just that there's other things that go into assigning quality high-level games other than an official's judgment so uh again uh, th there's nothing wrong with what ken because he he only has a certain amount of data or uh, available to him whereas i have i have the numbers but uh, again you know the other thing that's interesting and i just throw this out like teddy valentine who is a recognized official the year i was the supervisor he was 17, ranked 17. The year I, uh, uh, or it, it, the year I became, uh, uh, that Brian Kersey became the supervisor, he went from 17 to five because Brian Kersey saw him as a, a, a better fit than I did. And that's always gonna be the case, who's making the assignments? And now that Mike Eads is, is making the assignments to the SEC, 
maybe those rankings will be skewed uh, differently. Does that make sense, Luke? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I think, you know, I'll let Ken speak for himself here, but that's, I think, probably one of the both strengths and weaknesses of this system, which as he, as Ken, I'm going to put words in his mouth, but as he said, it's not designed to be comprehensive. Um, but, but yeah, there are the, the part of it, the way it works is the vagaries of sort of assignments are, uh, it really does measure assignments as much as anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really should, uh, rebrand the, uh, the rankings as, uh, you know, game assignment rankings, because that's, that's what it's doing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, another thing to consider too, like, Bo Borowski ends up being ranked number one this year. And that's, you know, there's another factor involved here, which is, you know, Bo Borowski is getting the best assignments in the Big Ten. He's basically almost an exclusive Big Ten ref during the season. And this year, the Big Ten had a, you know, stunningly good year. So uh, he's obviously a very good official, but he gets boosted to being number one just simply because the conference that he works in ended up being outstanding. And that's something that, you know, Obviously, isn't reflected necessarily Bo Borowski's ability, but he just benefits from that a little bit because of the way college basketball turned out this year. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, that's was a great. Look, uh, Ken makes a great point. The Power Conference this past year was the Big Ten, and they had so many good teams. And anybody that's working in that league is is going to be have those high ranking games, and, and uh, that will change from season to season. Maybe you know the ACC was down, so. Uh, yeah. but again, there's multiple leagues and officials crossover. So, um, I, I like the consistency that, um, Ken had there. Uh, I, that's when I looked at it, they were probably the same referees that I, uh, I would have ranked. I've, I found the big 10 example, particularly fascinating this year for a couple of reasons. One, obviously those, the big 10 had the best conference games for the most part, you know, collectively. But it's also a conference that may have, a, to, to me anyway, has a little less cross-pollination with the other Power Five conferences when it comes to officials. Like Big Ten guys work a ton of Big Ten games um, as opposed to, you know, having sampling from more from other conferences the way a lot of the ACC and Big East and SEC and Big 12 guys do. Obviously out West, it's a little different because of geography. And, and, and you throw that into the mix as well as your last 2020 rankings don't have the NCAA tournament in them. Right. So, uh, you know, or even some big conference tournament games that would have helped officials in other conferences even out. I thought that was a really interesting illustration of two different kind of intersecting trends, one being the Big Ten being really good, and two, their the sort of uh, willingness to use certain guys over and over again. As you pointed out, Bo Borowski gets pretty much all the big games in that league. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I – and I don't know necessarily why that is. Part of it is you know, the Big Ten basically has games seven nights a week at this point, you know, with yeah. the TV network and all that. So it is possible for, for guys to do that. But uh, we, we should give – I was just looking at my ratings before I came on. It's special credit to Michael Stevens, who, uh, who finished fifth in the ratings this year. And I basically did not work a single Big Ten game. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, special, special acknowledgement for that. Yeah, uh, the, it's interesting. The, the guys uh, – Michael – well, Eads obviously worked several Big Ten games – uh, was was fourth, uh, Stevens fifth, Jeffrey Anderson seventh, uh, Paul Doug Sermon's tenth. Those guys did not have the advantage of working a ton of Big Ten games. I don't know if Keith Kimball did or not, but it seems like he works every night somewhere. So I'm, I don't <laughs> I don't know that he has that many disadvantages when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I, you know, can I want to circle back for a second? We talked at the beginning about 
you know, sort of stat sheet and keeping these records. But why did you decide to kind of take this? I mean, what was the genesis of this idea? Was it just seeing some of these guys on TV a lot? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for whatever reason, I've always had kind of an interest in, in officiating. And uh, uh, I'll point out, I have a, a, a very modicum of uh, credibility here. I did uh, officiate one college game in my, my brief officiating career, um, a uh, NAIA Division II uh, JV game uh, in Great Falls, Montana. So uh, probably the lowest level of college basketball you can get. But I have worked a college game. Um, and so, you know, I've always been interested in the officials and, and kind of wanting like uh, a more objective way to, to talk about officiating, you know, kind of like you guys do on the podcast. Uh, it's really refreshing. But, uh, you know, it's the one it's the one area of sports where, you know, even the most uh, objective of viewpoints, when they talk about officiating, they tend to, you know, go off the deep end and and uh, get emotional about it. So, uh, so that, you know, those things were probably the, the main motivations for doing this. Did, I, 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 I should have looked at the numbers, but did John Higgins' rating drop after the, the Kentucky-UNC game and the lawsuit and the death threats? <laughs> Were people less prone to, to hire him or assign him amid all of the ridiculous controversy caused that's by a, Kentucky fans? Yeah, that's a good question. So he, uh, when he finished 11th this year, and uh, I don't even yeah, – 16th last year, so – yeah, he uh, he did maybe take a, a slight tumble. It's hard to really attribute that to uh, he was third in 2017. So um, you know maybe a slight tumble. He's you know he's one of those guys that certainly benefits from the the idea of counting the, the top 50 games and just right. the sheer volume that he works and the fact that he's really like a true national official. He just crisscrossing the country kind of helps him as well. Yeah, um, that, that's one of those things that sort of occurs to me as you start we start talking about this stuff. Um, I did want to point out, if you go back to your original 2016 final rankings, uh, three of the top seven are now power five or have been power five officiating supervisors, uh, two in the SEC, as it turns out. Uh, so if nothing else, you've hit on a potential recruiting tool for power conferences. That was uh, Mark Whitehead at the SEC and now Mike Eads and, and then Brian Chrissy at the ACC. Um, and then one other question I had for you just in general, and as you, if you ever do think about tweaking this going forward, uh, it, it strikes me that, that one of the kind of things that gets skewed here is, if, let's say you're a, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, it, it, it maybe overrates referees whose grades might not be that good, but they work in a conference where maybe the pool isn't as good as other conferences. So maybe ability-wise, they're getting assignments that they wouldn't get in other conferences. Does that make sense? So let's say it's, you know, I'll make up a conference, the hypothetical, you know, TRC has 10 guys who work the majority of their games and it's not a very good, it's a good league, but maybe the quality of officiating isn't considered as high to someone like John. Uh, is that possible that the system could get gamed a little bit that way just because you have, because it's only judging the games they work essentially? Yeah, no question. I mean, it can be it can be gamed a lot of ways. I guess my uh, <laughs> my hope is that nobody is gaming it intentionally. <laughs> I, don't think I've, I don't think the officiating ratings have quite risen to that level, although I do occasionally get uh, notifications from certain people about how their name got misspelled or something at a, in a game, and they're not getting credit for uh, working a certain game. But yeah, I mean, it would be great to, to account for that. I'm not sure how I would go about that. I guess maybe knowing what other assignments those officials are getting when they don't work that league that you're talking about. Maybe that yeah. could be somewhat helpful, but uh, 
yeah, I wish I, I wish I had more information available to, to do those kind of things. John, is there any way you can kind of broker a deal to backdoor Ken some of the actual <laughs> raw data? Uh, no, one of the things that Ken pointed out and in, in the things that he sent that uh, really jumped out at me is, you know, we saw Roger Ayers at the top of that list. And then it was pointed out that Roger actually has the fewest foul calls. Uh, so Ken had seen that and, and you know, and I, and I said to myself, okay, what, what's the correlation with him being the highest rated and the fewest calls? Cause that, that would, you know, uh, and, and then I thought to myself, well, if, if, as far as his accuracy, if he's not blowing the whistle, he's not missing any calls unless you add in the no call incorrect because we did correct calls, no calls, no calls incorrect. And uh, so Roger is uh, again up there uh, at the hot top of the list, but he's the blows the whistle the, the, the fewest amount of times. Um, I had to think on that and how, you know, is that something that officials ought, ought to be doing, calling fewer fouls or, you know, being more selective in their fouls? Um, because that, that, that certainly looks as though it contributes to his ranking. I don't know, John. I think you're the only one of the three that can answer that question. Three <laughs> of us that can answer that question. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want to get into, uh, like I said before, the actual data which is important um, is, is, is important, but every supervisor that makes their assignments looks at other things and um, maybe it's fair or not fair, but there's a guy on that list who is a very accurate play caller. Year after year after year, the data comes back that he is getting uh, really high in the 90s percent of his calls. When I assign him, I have to be very selective because the coaches were not buying what he was selling. And whether it's communication, his lack of communication, whether they some uh, coaches perceived him as being arrogant, unapproachable, um, some of the officials did not like partnering with him because he was always laying off mistakes on them and not part of the team. Um, that all entered into it. And um, so even though his accuracy was really good and consistent every year, I had, to, I, I had to be conscious of where I was sending him and who I was assigning him with. It's, but, you know, like, and I will tell you, uh, Roger meets all those other things that I just mentioned that guys like working with him. He, 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 he's a good partner. He communicates with the coaches. Uh, some, some officials w might say, well, that's, that, that's not part of what he should be doing. But every supervisor that assigns those games know that that is part of uh, the makeup of an official. The intangibles sure yeah it, it does seem like intuitively uh guys who would call a lot of fouls probably wouldn't be terribly popular in 
guys who call fewer fouls. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, just from an audience perspective, you know, I, obviously there's, there's a need to call fouls, but it just seems like uh, the bias towards uh, bad officiating is, is, you know, is a game where like too many fouls are called. And I, I mean, I don't know if that extends to coaches or evaluators or things like that, but certainly looking on from the outside, like it does make some sense that better, if, you know, the, the, the officials that call fewer fouls would, would be viewed as better officials. Is that was you know, one Ken, of, um, sorry, John, go ahead. I, I was just going to say some fig, some officials also have it figured out. Okay. And that's the only way I can, but they know, um, if they don't call fouls, if they default to the no call and it's a questionable call, they always go with the no call. Yeah. And um, it, it, and all I can say is the really good ones, the, the ones, and I've been around uh, officiating for a long time, the really good ones have it figured out and, and uh, know how to not only get their numbers right, but manage the game um, entirely. Uh, and, and Ken, just to follow up on that one point, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. The, one of the, the items that you mentioned that was in the old stat sheet data was the sort of number of fouls called. Have you ever kind of tried to interpose those things with, with the data that you've assembled? Yeah, it's just, it's just too hard, Luke, because obviously you have three-man crews, so you know, we sure. don't know okay. who's, who's calling those fouls. Like, well, it would be like – What's interesting is at the NBA level, they do record that information. And when you analyze it, uh, you find that there are people that call more fouls than others. And that's like not a random thing. Like from year to year, you can predict who's going to call more fouls than others. And it would be really cool if we had that data for college. But uh, without that data, it's really a guess. And that's why I was always kind of concerned that data was public. It was like, it's not, you know, just because Roger Ayers works a game where there are 45 fouls called doesn't mean that he was responsible for calling a bunch of those fouls. Uh, well, I just, uh, let me ask you one last question here. If there's anything you could tweak about this, and I don't, obviously you have probably have bigger fish to fry than your officials <laughs> rankings, uh, given the sort of the, the ubiquity that, that your efficiency ratings have, have obtained in the college basketball world. And Lord knows there's probably more important things to, to be focusing on, but is there anything you would consider changing or tweaking going forward? Is it worth your time to even look at it at this point? Or is, are these kind of good for the, the, the to serve the purpose that they have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, you know, certainly the ratings are like in the ballpark of reality. You know, what I talked about earlier about just properly accounting for volume, I guess, and not overrating volume. Um, is the main thing I'm going to look at it. You know, you, there are other things you can look at. You could try to account for the geographic bias and just, you know, somehow look at games on a particular night and not just look at the actual rating of a game, but like what were the, what quality of games were available to that official working on that night. And, um, hmm. maybe, you know, maybe not penalize Vern Harris cause he's working a big sky game on a Friday night. Like that's all that was available. And it's actually like, you know, a credit to him that he, that he got that assignment. Um, sure. Those are the kind of the ideas, I guess, that float around my head. But overall, you know, like you said, it's it's generally reflective of like who the good officials are. So um, I'm not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over it. No adjusted fan match ratings for quality of competition. <laughs> no, although I mean, obviously, uh, if I do tweak the fan match ratings, that would have impact on the officials' ratings. So that's another another opportunity as well. True. Uh, Ken, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, appreciate you you listening and asking questions about the podcast in the past and i remember getting a, a twitter 
shout or call you you spotted a hook and hold the week john and i had spent seven hours discussing hooking and holding it was like you're like i've spotted one in the wild and it was yeah you guys are on the hook and hold before any you know everybody else at the beginning of that season they were like why are they calling this and i was like hey i uh, i know why they're calling it well thank you very much for listening we really appreciate it thanks for coming on we appreciate your time uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the rankings and, and as we both mentioned before, the, the ability to kind of search a referee schedule and have those hot links is invaluable for what I do. If nothing else, for researching this podcast, uh, trying, to, trying to figure out who's worked conference tournaments where. So, Ken, thanks for your time. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, John, I've followed Ken's work for years. I've, as we talked about at length, I've asked him and, and uh, to get – uh, the the official schedules back online and their their work history is probably a better better word for it after that information disappeared uh, four or five years ago or maybe longer than that now when when Stashy went offline what did you think John I mean you talked a little bit about it while we were talking to Ken but what what's your take on the idea of, of rating officials based on the games they work as opposed to the calls they make you know uh, I think it has merit uh, and uh, I I think I said that. Uh, earlier that uh, it 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 has merit because uh the officials the list that uh, i saw that uh, we both saw that uh, those officials are always uh, they're at the top of their game they're going to get the the the, the, the top level games um they're you know we we certainly every conference needs more of those type of guys but they've proven themselves and um and i think uh, he looks at who's refereeing the premier games. One of the things that I thought had merit is he did not, he only rated 50 games because you can't uh, rate an official by the number of assignments that they get because there's some officials who work there every night or small college, big South, uh, you know, small lakes. So you can't, you can't do it by the number but you can do it by the quality of games. Um, you know, I, I, I think we, we talked about some things about, uh, about rating. His, he doesn't have the data that we uh, put in place. And, and, uh, and that data is important uh, as, as much as the quality of the games that they're getting, the data that I see as far as uh, the quality of their calls. But, what he's done has, uh, as far as his rating, has great merit, I think. Yeah, I think he's, he's, it, it's worth looking at for sure. Yeah, as we mentioned and talked about a little bit, it does typically, the guys who end up, the 10 guys who get picked for the Final Four do typically come from the very top of his ratings. And usually there's one or two wild cards, which I think is probably a pretty good indication that his ratings do a good job of measuring which guys people who assign games trust. And those are the guys who get moved along during the NCAA tournament. And then the ones who end up either dropping out and not working the final four, you know, obviously there are times during the tournament where guys don't get advanced because of a, you know, a a misapplied rule or a clock situation or something. So you knock a couple guys out there. And then if you got a guy who ranks in Ken's twenties or thirties, who makes the final four, that may be someone who doesn't get the quote unquote big games, but has had a very good NCAA tournament and, and maybe is primed for a, a move upward. So I think it's, you know, I think if you understand the limitations of the system, which I think most people do, I don't think anyone's taking 
what Ken is doing with officiating, you know, trying to yeah. measure officiating as gospel. It is a, a useful tool, at least for a fan to say, not is this guy any good or are these guys working my game any good, but you know, are they, are they generally thought of as being good? And, and I think it's a decent tool for that. I love the fact that you can click on a guy's name and it shows you to all, takes you right to all the games he's worked and you can click on the years and it takes you to the schedule for the year. So you can kind of get a sense of, you know, what conference tournament someone's worked, what their NCAA tournament history is, at least for the last four or five years. Uh, there are limitations to the system, but functionally as a sports writer and as someone who hosts an officiating podcast, now, I can't tell you the number of times you and I have been talking and you've started talking about something and I've gone to Ken's site and looked up a guy to say, oh yeah, he worked the ACC tournament semifinal and then the A-10 final two years ago and three years ago he worked the ACC championship because that, that data is all right at your fingertips with, with what Ken has set up. And, and that, that is extraordinarily useful. So if you have interest in any of this, I'm speaking not to you, John, but to our listeners for a moment. If you have interest in any of this, you can subscribe to Ken's site. Pretty much every single person, I think, in college basketball has a subscription to KenPom.com. And uh, the officiating stuff really is a bonus uh, when, you, when you look at the, the wealth of statistical information and, and modern basketball stats that's on there. Ken doesn't need us to plug in. He's doing, doing just fine on his own. Uh, but I, I'm thrilled he was able to make some time for us. And uh, I learned something, John. I'm sure you did, too. Yeah, uh, I think something. And one of the things you said, and and uh, that I, it's on. Uh, in talking to to Ken, uh, there's a lot to be said for these officials that are working these high level games consistently. It uh, a trust factor gets uh, uh, gets in there, and when the NCAA committee, uh, on the recommendations of J.D. Collins. When he's presenting names to the NCAA committee, those names are guys that have worked these Big Ten games, these SEC games, these Power Five conference games consistently every night. And now the NCAA selection committee is looking at this under JD's recommend, recommendation, and they're comfortable. They're, they're trusting that these guys that can work Virginia Duke or uh, Michigan State, Michigan, that they're ready for that NCAA tournament. And um, I think it uh, it was good. Uh, uh, You know, Ken, I think Ken's rating is uh, and how he does it has a lot of merit. I I said that before. Yeah. That that was great. Let's, Let's move on to another pressing topic. One we've talked about on this show is is sort of the pipeline to becoming a, 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 a an official and how that in some places has dried up nationally. One little bit of news that that has come out during this pandemic and we're all shut down is uh, the National Feder- Federation of High School Associations made the eleven officiating courses on their website, uh, which is www.nfhslearn nfhslearn.com free of charge and in two weeks at the end of march uh more than 5200 of the courses had been taken and and those are across seven sports and that's really you know we've talked about if i want to get started how do i get started that's really a good starting point uh to to start there and, and and start the learning process 
And it's a, it's a, an opportunity now with nothing going on to really, you know, if you want to get involved with this, this is a good time to start. And for the moment, it's free. Well, there's no better time to get started because if, if um, you have any desire at all to be a official, a sports official, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, or uh, soccer, lacrosse, uh, anything, there is such a need that once you go through the process, you are going to get assignments. And you you can probably work as much. Uh, Luke, I, I read uh, just recently, maybe it was uh, this past year, that in, in Wake County, North Carolina, they had to cancel 21 girls lacrosse games because they could not provide officials for those, this was in the triangle, they could not pr provide officials for girls lacrosse. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and I talked to a, uh, an assigner, a supervisor of high school and college from Western Pennsylvania, and he just says, John, it, there's a, such a shortage everywhere that uh, they're doing everything they can to, to fill uh, the number of officials that they need. But um, so many things start entering. Um, uh, Q Tucker at North Carolina High School Athletic Association, she thinks it's a sportsmanship issue. Sure. That, that it's not a money issue. They're getting paid enough. Um, the, to get registered and pay for getting registered, uh, that, that's not the issue. The issue is uh, unsportsmanlike conduct by not, on, not only um, parents, but also players hmm. and coaches. There's an increase uh, every year in the number of ejections from players and coaches. And um, so if you're sitting there and you, and, and you have a desire, um, my first thought is uh, go for it. it but uh, there's things that need to be done and everybody scratching their head and figure out how can we correct this. And Q Tucker said something that I thought, she, she, she says it's a generational thing. I thought that was a good word that the behavior now in sports and, 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 and athletics is different than it was earlier on. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I believe that. I mean, I'm old school, but I wouldn't do or, or, or say anything to a, a referee when I, when I played sports or I would have to pay the price. And, and uh, today, parents default to the coaches and to the players and never to not, I can't say everybody, but to their, their little child is playing uh, baseball or, or basketball. It's always somebody, it seems like that it's somebody else's fault. So officials, um, it, it, it's a great time to be an official. You, you're not going to have to struggle for assignments. You can get all the assignments, but again, um, it's, it's, it's availability problem uh, for the, the, the state associations. I want to just look, if I can, I, 
I think this is uh, interesting. In Pennsylvania, if you want to be a, an official in the state of Pennsylvania and you've gone through the process of getting certified by taking a state examination and passing it, before you can get any assignments, you have to get three things have to be done. You have to get fingerprinted by the FBI. You have to go pass a child welfare clearance and they do a criminal background check. This is for high school officials. Sure. And to me, in some ways that might be discouraging to officials only because maybe there's something in there that, uh, you know, they don't want, uh, to have come out, but they should. Okay. And, and my, my point is, you know, they, they may not want to go all through those three processes. I'm not sure other states have those. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think if you can't pass a criminal background check, you maybe shouldn't be officiating high school sports. So I'm going to, I'm going to default to the Western Pennsylvania position on this one. I don't know that that's a uh, no, I, you know, I, an, I, I'm not an saying. onerous demand on it. But to your point, we do need to find ways, I think, to remove whatever barriers may be keeping people, especially people who start out and give it a try and don't continue with it. it you know, those, they're, all, they're always sticking points along the way, getting started. And then once you've gotten started, you continue with it. You know, you, you need to, like anything, you're going to be an official. Uh, you need to make working games and, and polishing your craft and staying in shape. All those things need to become a habit and a routine. So I do think you make an excellent point that we need to look at what are the barriers to entry, what are the barriers to continuing, and make that process as smooth and frictionless as possible because the numbers are down and the games can't be played without people in those roles. So. You know, I, we talk a lot about this issue on this podcast. We talk a lot about shortages and, and the abuse officials take. Uh, we don't necessarily have a, an answer uh, for anything, um, but I do think this, what the National High School Federation is doing uh, in, in opening up basically something that, that typically you have to pay for, making it free is a good example of removing barriers to entry and making it easier to get started. And who knows how many people will give it a try based on having the time to do all those courses now that they might not have had, uh, you know, if they were watching sports at night or what have you. I and mean, we all have, especially sports fans, we all have a little time in our lives that, that needs filling. For me, I've, I've filled it one with work, but also, you know, watching main cabin masters uh, and, and, and other shows that I probably would not have watched if there were sports on TV. So it's a huge issue. You know, do you, John, have any any solutions? Anything you'd like to see tried, no, no, kind of at no. the, that end of the funnel? Uh, I, I, you know, I just think it's uh, 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 something that you could really enjoy, and um, I, I, I'm not in front of these young officials, but it seems like right now, Luke, and the numbers very, uh, uh, according to the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, the the averages get older and older and older, uh, not younger. Uh, it, the, the 50, the 60, and 70s are still there refereeing uh, games, 
and the 25-year-old, the 30-year-old, they're, they're not coming into the officiating. They, the older guys are there, uh, and uh, we can't seem to, you know, I don't know uh, what the National Association can do, but um, I just think it's, it, it, it does a couple things. Um, it, it doesn't pay a lot of money. It pays enough money, it, 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 but you have to enjoy it. And you're giving uh, something back to the, your, your community. I think that uh, going out there and refereeing uh, soccer on Saturday uh, and you're doing a good thing, not, you know, not only – I mean, for the kids, uh, they need people to, to uh, officiate their games. And I, I know I'm going on here, but I, I always thought it was just the best thing um, you could do uh, in your community is, is give a little bit back. Um, you're not going to, you're going to make enough money and enjoy maybe enough money to, to, to do some things with your family, but you're also helping out, uh, your community, your, whether it's, uh, uh, recreational, whether it's with the schools, but, uh, I just don't know why we can't get, uh, and again, um, maybe something needs to be done with, uh, they're trying. I mean, uh, they're, they're setting some higher standards all the time. The North Carolina high school uh, setting high standards um, with, um, with in their contests of what kids and, and coaches can do. But, uh, again, Luke, uh, I, I, I don't think anybody has the answer. How do, how do we get these people involved in officiating? When you started out, did you officiate start, now, like way back at the beginning? Did you officiate sports other than basketball? Uh, I did. I did. I, I did uh, baseball, and I really liked baseball, um, Luke. Um, I don't know why. I think I, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I love doing baseball. I did American Legion ball up a pretty high level. I never did any of, uh, you know, uh, college ball or anything of that sort. I did American Legion. But, Luke, I um, – uh, you know, I, I liked to, I started officiating intramural games uh, when I was in college. And um, I just, uh, there was never a time I, I didn't think I, I, I didn't like it. Uh, I was always looking for better assignments, figure out how I can grow in, in, in that profession, that advocation. Uh, and, you know, it was right for me. It, it, but once you get started, you'll find out real soon whether, you know, you like it or not. And, if you do, then, you know, there's a, a real uh, a real road to go up uh, and, and get into a higher level. But, um, yeah, I did baseball and, and, and enjoyed baseball a lot. Yeah. Did you ever do any football? Uh, did not. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, my, my boys played football, and one of them is an ACC football guy, and, and the other one's a basketball guy. But, uh, no, I never did football. Mm -mm. How about yourself, Luke? Did you ever officiate? No. No, I never really. I was always a writer. So I was always writing about stuff as opposed to officiating it. I, I thought it might be interesting to, to, to learn the rule book and, and try to officiate a little basketball. My, my sense is from, from covering games and watching them and, and, you know, watching them at court level and watching top-level referees do their work, whether it's in the ACC or, or the NCAA tournament, that there's a – a, a big part of it that in a sense is instinctual. Like, you know, you're, you're 
you're, you're responding to things that you're not necessarily internalizing. Your brain is wired to recognize what is and isn't a foul. And I find myself like if I'm on the court playing and thinking to myself of in, in terms of, you know, what I call a foul there or whatever, I'm not sure my brain is wired precisely the right way to make that right call. I'm the kind of guy who kind of needs to look at the replay and, and maybe isn't wrong at first. I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea that my first snap instinct isn't always right. And I think to be a, a, an official, you know, you have to have that, that that's something you're born with. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if I went out there and did it, the numbers would actually be wrong. And I just sort of think of it that way because we do spend so much time going back and looking at replays and whatnot. I mean, that's, you know, part of this job is you have the luxury of, of watching a replay or, or taking the time to get it right uh, that an official doesn't have. I mean, we, you know, we, we talk about all of the, obviously the, the time spent at the monitor these days, how that's an issue to me. But the reality is the vast, vast majority of calls in any sport uh, are made on the fly instantly. And to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, John, because you're the one who's, who's done it, there, there isn't that uh, time to reflect. You have to see it and act and call what you see instantly. You know, look, that's a great point. And, 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 um, and what you're saying is absolutely 100% true. If you're a good official, you respond to instinct and, and your instincts are uh, uh, usually a high percentage correct. There's a book by Melton Gladwell called Blink. And Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite guys to read, but Malcolm Gladwell will tell you through his research that your instincts, your first instinct is usually right. And we, as the referees, you can't go through the process of was, and John Adams tried to sell this, but you can't go, is his balance, speed, quickness interrupted? You will never have a whistle if you start trying to process all these things, advantage, disadvantage, speed, quickness. Uh, you have to trust your instincts and you have to see the play and call the play. And, uh, and I would recommend, in fact, uh, I, I gave several talks to officials and I always took uh, maybe a half a dozen books uh, blink with me and I would hand them out to guys that would answer the right question because I read blink and, and Malcolm Gladwell says instincts are extremely important and they're usually correct. And I don't know the answer. You know, I, this is my suspicion, but you know, maybe, as I said, if I got into a game, I would find that my instincts are more honed than I thought. And maybe that's a skill that you can improve through practice and repetition. But my, my suspicion is that like anything else in sports, it's a skill and not necessarily an athletic skill, but, but, but a mental skill, maybe a little hand-eye coordination. But, you know, that, that to a certain extent, you're born with a level of and you can work to get better. But I, I, I just, I, at this point, having never done it, mind you, I would be concerned with, with that ability. I, and maybe, as I said, it's just a legacy of, of second guessing everything 
and looking at everything twice, and I would feel differently with a striped shirt on on the court. Yeah. Um, but you well, know, and maybe you know that's the kind of thing you don't find out until you know. But my guess is it's is to a certain degree it's it's like a golf swing where you have some natural ability and you can make yourself into a good golfer. But the truly exceptional golfers have something the rest of us don't have. Maybe there's there's that one little bit, uh, Luke, but certainly experience. Uh, there's no substitute for experience. You're going to get better every year. You know, let's talk about Roger Ayers, for example. When I took over in 05, Roger was not nearly as good as he is now. And he would be the first to tell you that. But the experience, the, the process, the, the growing up into a good official, getting better games. But to your point, that experience helped Roger to get to the level he is now. But if he didn't have good instincts and trust his instincts, he'd be trying to outthink this game. And you, you, you could get frozen by analysis and you, you won't be able to, to, to do the things that he's doing. But experience and helped him and Mike Eads and everybody else I tell you, let's talk about official. I think Teddy Valentine, who you have watched referee a thousand times, there is no better instinct referee than Teddy Valentine. If he had to think about the process of advantage, disadvantage, and, you know, uh, was his speed, rhythm, balance interrupted, it, Teddy couldn't referee. Teddy's instincts are incredible. And he's an instinctive referee, and he's a very successful referee because of it. Yeah, I, and, and I have, for all those guys, the, the level of, at that level, the amount of work you have to put in to maintain and improve and, and function at that level is, is insane. Just the, the physical preparation, the mental preparation. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for guys who are working in Division One. We're working in a Power Five conference, who are working in the NBA, and the amount of time and effort and work that they put in off the court, whether it's fitness or conditioning or strength training or mental training or looking at video or talking to their crew, uh, you know, I understand that that at that level, that is a, a an unbelievable time and effort commitment um, just to maintain that ability, let alone get better. So. It's a, you know, I, as I said, like anything else, there's, there's a, a degree of it that's given and a degree of it that's earned. Uh, and I don't know where, where I would potentially fall on that. It's certainly, you know, something, something we could probably find out at some point. But I have a, a, a lot of studying to do, just book studying to do before I could pass a rules quiz. So we're a long way. From yeah. That. Yeah. But you, you're pretty good. Uh, we talk about a lot of the games that you, you go to and so forth. I think you're, you've got a keen eye for officiating. I really do. Um, we seldom disagree, but uh, I'm not saying you should go into officiating, but I think, <laughs> I think, I think you have a pretty good, uh, a keen eye uh, for officiating, but we still back to our original. It's a shame that we can't get more people looking uh, to, to come into officiating. I think it's, I think it's a great, uh, advocation. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I know uh, I talked to Barry Mano at the uh, NASO and uh, 
there's the numbers just aren't there. It's it's a, a problem nationwide. And I guess you know my my example notwithstanding, if you if you care enough about this stuff to listen to this podcast, and you're not already an official, and I'm I'm look I'm I'm 45. If I were to get involved in this, obviously I would have a, a relatively limited time span. But if you're younger and you're listening to this podcast and you care enough to get involved uh, to listen to it, I'm sorry, you know that that may be an indication that it's something you might want to consider as sports start to ramp back up when we get through this, this COVID business. So that'll be my, my final message for this podcast is if, if you care enough to listen and people, I, people do listen to us, John. Amazing. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, maybe some of them get involved with. Yeah. Some of them think that, uh, you know, where do I go? What do I, who do I approach at first and so forth? It's easy. Just go to here locally, go to the North Carolina high school athletic association and there'll be a website there and uh, they'll give you the first steps, but, um, I, I wouldn't be afraid to try it. I wouldn't be hesitant. If you just have an inkling for it, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, at our guest today, Ken Pomeroy, former official himself. NAIA I thought, yeah. Official, yeah, he so, was you know. a, a referee to college game, an NAIA college game. And uh, so he, you know, he, he's been on the floor. He knows what a little bit about, about officiating. Well, we thank, we obviously thank Ken for his time. We're thrilled to have him on and, and obviously tremendous amount of respect for his work, whether it's uh, basketball games or the, the, the people who officiate them. And uh, that's our 28th podcast, John. And we've managed to do two now with no basketball. And let's see next time if we can't, uh, can't hook an even bigger fish to come on here. I'm going to put that in your hands. And we have this, uh, this our, we're all familiar with Zoom now. It's easier to conference people in than it was. So that is your challenge. I, I give to you. In, in, in full okay, I got some ideas. I think I shared them with you, but. You know, if they, uh, I don't know why they want, but uh, I'll reach out to them and we'll get, uh, we'll get some good basketball people on here. Sounds great. John, thank you as always. It's, it's always a pleasure. And uh, our thanks also again to Ken Pomeroy for coming on. And thanks again to all of our listeners. If you have a uh, comment or question, you can email me, L-D-E-C-O-C-K at newsobserver.com, all one word, uh, at Luke Decock on Twitter. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks very much for listening.